right. Welcome to the show. Um, to my listeners, I have been somewhat quiet recently uh, for various reasons, but I've been jumping back onto to Twitter a little bit and into the space of philosophy of religion and just talking to interesting people who uh, like all this stuff and um, like chatting about atheism, Christianity, any other religion, all that good stuff. And so um, I have a guest on, um, Nathan, um, who his, his handle is Digital Gnosis. Uh, which is knowledge in Greek, right? Is that correct? Yeah, though I, I, maybe it'd be more apt to call call myself like digital agnosis or something. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and it's also in what is it uh, in a Greek script now as well um, on Twitter at least. Yeah, I can't remember why I did that. If I just did it for fun or if there was a particular reason, but yeah, it is on Twitter. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, so uh, I first discovered you. You have your own um, channel, um, which is at Digital Gnosis, uh, right. and we, uh, I believe, there should be a link already in this stream. So um, if people want to check that out, I definitely recommend it. Um, sorry, I'm just responding to um, a <laughs> work alert, uh, which uh, we are both software engineers, so we um, we have dealt with some of that issues before. But um, yeah. Um, you uh, you have a habit sometimes of putting out like eight eight hour long videos, um, perhaps. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I've skimmed through parts of one, but uh, I applaud you on uh, the tenacity of that because that that is uh, intense. And one thing I do uh, respect about you too is I can tell you dig deep on a lot of this stuff a lot deeper than I have. For instance, on like the Kalam argument or something like that. But okay, so a lot of people you know, don't, don't know you, uh, or anything like that. Um, so I'm just curious, can you give a quick recap of, um, your story as far as just beliefs overall, because I know you've had, um, a bit of a journey. Um, so yeah, uh, let's hear it. Sure. Yeah. I'm, I, I said before this, I'm going to, um, keep my background thing a bit shorter because I've talked about this in a few other places before. So, but for those who haven't watched, I'll try and like fill in all the key details and things. Um, so I wasn't raised um, with any particular religious denomination or anything like that. Um, and I suppose sort of secular slash um, slight kind of tinge of Christianity in primary school, as in there would be a few hymns that were vaguely religious, though we weren't particularly taught any um, one religion being true over the others or anything like that. And mo most of the hymns were just to do with generic, like sharing your ruler and stuff like that. But um, a few of them did mention like Christianity specifically, like, um, oh, I, can't, I can't remember now, like G Jesus gives us water of life or something, though I didn't really know. You know, I, I physically thought it was about wells. Like I thought the idea of Christianity at that age was wells. Anyway, that, yeah, I'm, f I'm already filling in way too much detail. for. So, so then um, in high school, I probably shifted more towards atheism. This is when a lot of the new atheism stuff was going on. So this is about age 12 to 15, something like that. And I philosophically would have constructed a lot of what I thought about the world from the sciences, which was what the vast majority of the kind of subjects I was taking were in. Um, I was quite a big fan of people like Dawkins or Pothole of 54 on YouTube at the time. Then I shifted more towards agnosticism uh, as I got a little bit older. And I think that that was not really as a result of 
delving into philosophy of religion, but more having experiences with things like psychedelics and encountering more of the kind of difficulties of life. And I think that that made me realize maybe that there was like a, a need for a religious experience or maybe um, personal life narratives. That There's something more to the narrative aspect of human life that didn't seem sort of reducible to physical causal processes and mechanisms to me. Um, then as I turned around 17, 18, a lot of the issues that I'd kind of carried from my life really kind of bubbled to the surface. So for example, being adopted, uh, struggling with depression and stuff, I had a really particularly bad time. Uh, that was exacerbated by rupturing ACLs in my knees. Um, so I can actually, a little show and tell, so I've got Man. these on, on both knees. Uh, both being, knees. From, from the surgeries, but, this, but at the time, so at the time the ACL was popped, the left one in a rugby match. And then I was really depressed after that. I got in touch with my biological mum from adoption um, at that time, met her for the first time. And that was like like a really weird situation in general. Um, her boyfriend then um, snapped the other ACL in my other knee and was like, oh, not so tough now, big lad, after after he'd done that. And then I ended up... Gosh. I mean, I don't... I. I genuinely um, have no idea if I was really weird or something to prompt that, but I can't remember. I can't, I don't think I could have done anything that bad to warrant any, anyway. So, um, you know, over the course of two years or so, as I was finishing high school, I had these big surgeries. I also at that time ran away from my adoptive parents because I was really um, upset with the way that they were dealing with it because I didn't feel like they were treating me like a person or meeting the the issues where I wanted to meet them it felt like they wanted to control me and stuff um so then I so I ended up sort of running away from home and getting these surgeries and finishing high school all this stress going on and I didn't really think about going to university or anything like that because I was just kind of trying to survive ended up working in a call center for a year while I was healing from surgeries um and that was again, a really kind of depressing situation because call center uh, call centers are. Um, anyway, I got, got kind of strong again. But dur during that time, I was listening to Jordan Peterson. This is when he was on his kind of rise to fame and stardom type thing. Um, and so off the back of that, I began listening to his, all his lectures or a bunch of his lectures were uploaded to YouTube. So I think like the 2014 and 2015 maps of meaning and existentialism or something like that um, lectures. And so I listened to those, those kind of opened me up to Christianity, especially the biblical series lectures that he was doing live at that time, uh, began going to a local Bible study group. And I think the religion was, was really appealing to me I mean, from a first-person point of view, I'd began integrating some of my suffering, I suppose, and getting stronger after the surgeries and integrating my personality through a kind of narrative of of meaning. So, um, you know, like this this whole experience was deeply meaningful to me, and I felt like I'd grown as a person through the suffering, and that sort of um, opened me up to, I think, spiritual idea. It, it was something different from what my understanding of the scientists told me about the world, at least. And then... Um, I guess started getting into Christianity through this Bible study group that I began going to. I didn't realize at the time there were all these theological divisions. So they were quite fundamentalist, evangelical Calvinist types. Um, 
and not as fundamentalist and for, as... for you, you were just like, this is Christian, and I, I'm jumping in, and you didn't know all the, the differences. I had no idea. Of, I had no idea about any of that. I just assumed it was all one thing if you were in. Right. And so when I was going to this Bible study group, I think I turned up and start, started talking about like um, Tiamat and Marduk and Old Testament, like um, like ancient Near Eastern myths that were in, in the Old Testament. And how for, for me, this wasn't a problem because I didn't have any like dogma or anything. I was right. like, this is really cool how the Bible is influenced by these cultures. Like that for me was and they're actually, like, whoa, yeah. whoa, slow down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they were and I actually remember some of the sort of looks at me because that was obviously like taboo to sort of talk that right. <laughs> about those sorts of things. And I think just over time I began adopting some of the um prejudices and ways of thinking of other people in the group that I hadn't quite I definitely hadn't reasoned myself to their positions but just out of this kind of general um feeling of these opinions aren't acceptable or are acceptable to the group I sort of adopted the more evangelical set of beliefs um to the point where I mean I was I was doing these long three-hour one-to-ones with a ministry trainee um and he really wanted to convert me because he was new to the um, place, like that was his employer. And I guess it would have looked really good if it was like, oh, I, you know, I got a conversion or whatever. So he was really kind of putting the pressure on me. And um, I guess I just, but I, I think for me, what really converted me aside from all that was actually reading uh, Augustine's Confessions and oh. um, Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. Those were the two things that really, wow. um, made Christianity appealing to me, not really any brothers Karamazov right now. Right. Actually, it's my first Dostoevsky. That's cool. Yeah, I started that one. I never I, I need to continue with it at some point. Um, it's a big, big chunky book, though, that like, yeah, it, for sure. I'm going I think to it took me. Yeah, it took me ages to get through crime and punishment. Um, so. So, yeah, anyway, eventually it became like, you know, a church going Christian and all that. But my life had been in this place where I was, for example, in a secular relationship with someone at the time, my first like serious relationship, um, my first kind of real job, because I was doing a degree apprenticeship in software engineering. I think I was two years in maybe around around the time that I was like really a Christian. And I guess I was being told how to live by that version of Christianity. So it was like, you know, you're living in sin now that you're um, with this person. So you need to either get married or split up. Like that was the dichotomy. Right, and then right. it was like, well, if you don't enjoy your job, rather than sort of looking for a way to get a better job, it was like, well, maybe this is just your cross to bear. Maybe this is. So there was some sort of negative aspects to um, living that way that, that that were taking their toll on me, like psychologically and I guess right. physically because of all that stuff. Um and also the that ministry trainee he he became quite kind of manipulative and toxic in the sense of that relationship he was really pressuring me towards marriage uh pressured me into getting engaged where i don't think we were ready and then i like i remember for example feeling really bad about it because i was like this this doesn't feel right any of this and i went to the church one day just to pray on my own went and i remember he came in and was talking to me he was like well don't worry about it if um if she doesn't become a christian you can just get a divorce or whatever and it's like that's such a terrible wow. attitude to toward marriage you know like right <laughs> and it um and even the excuse I was giving was because I felt pressured by him. Like, the, what if she doesn't become a Christian? That wasn't what I cared about. What I cared about was, like, we've only been together a year or so. I, I'm only this age. I don't know if right. I want to be married yet. Like, I don't, And wow. um, 
he didn't really care about any of that. He just wanted to like push for what he kind of wanted. Yeah. yeah. Sounds then, like you were in a pressure cooker from like three different angles. Yeah. Of. Yeah. And on, to be honest, the, um, the actual church itself and the people in it aren't all that bad. I think mostly that kind of toxic pressure came from this, this one guy. Mm. Um, I don't think that the vicar himself really wouldn't, didn't put any of that sort of pressure on me though. I think he had his views and things about relationships, which would be more conservative. Yeah. I don't think he would, right. he really did anything. It was more, it was more this guy. Um, and so we went to a Christian uh, faith convention and he was he was there as well and he was kind of really really controlling the group and stuff and he was doing these one-to-ones he was doing these one-to-ones with my who was my fiance at the time and she started just hating the fact that i was into philosophy all of a sudden which was really weird because i'd been thinking well i'll finish my software engineering degree maybe i'll go and do i'll, I'll try and do a philosophy degree after that somehow maybe mm-hmm. just like a one-year post-grad diploma or one-year master's or something but um i'm really into that and it it, like it's a part of what christianity is to me so this is really important and uh i also i'm not really enjoying the software but he started telling her well this is like a false idol that nathan's got and he needs to get that out of his heart and worship the real god and i think that was projection because he felt a little bit threatened because he was he was learning about christianity as well being a ministry trainee and I was doing it. And I think he, because I was getting, I was so into all this philosophy and stuff and I'd be bringing up like um, some of the church fathers and say, Oh, maybe we should read Athanasius. And he wouldn't know who they are and say, Oh, well, I heard that guy's a heretic. It's like, dude, we read the Athanasian creed on Sundays. Like what? Um, He, I think he just felt kind of threatened. He wanted to stop me Mm -hmm. and get me. And uh, anyway, he ended up sort of facilitating this series of conversations that led to us breaking up, but it was so um, wow. bizarre in that fr- the, the last conversation that we had, I remember saying, well, I just want to talk to her in private. I don't want you there. And he was like, no, I've got to, I've got to be there and it's going to happen now. And then, so we did, we sat wow. down and he was like, um, oh, well, let's say a prayer beforehand. And it was something like, God, um, if, if we have idols in our heart, like studying philosophy that you don't want us to have, we pray that you'd remove them and help us to see your truth or something. <laughs> and then... Man, this guy is so <laughs> manipulative and controlling and man, that, wow. Yeah. And so basically at, at the end of that, we ended up splitting up and I was really upset. And I think that that is what sort of gave me the the initial emotional desire to leave Christianity. Like, I don't think, I don't think we're just these purely rational beings. I think there's always, you know, like, like the reasons that we find for things and stuff are always coupled to desires and stuff like that. And my, my desires obviously changed in a way um, where I then had a reason to resent Christianity. And I think that that, that changed, but I I had, wasn't really deconverting at that point. Uh, Sorry. Okay. So yeah. Question. Um, So part of the point I'm aware of here is you talking to like Pine Creek and uh, experiencing street epistemology there. So, okay. It's been just to to pause briefly. It's been interesting to see some of this from the outside, both um, in retrospect after it had happened and some of it in real time as well of, you know, your, your life story a little bit, but um, because I first um, came across you uh, doing a video. It's a really fascinating video. I recommend to people, I can share the link. Um, and it's it's a video of you as an atheist re-watching a video of yours from like a year before, two years before, not that long before, as 
basically a fundamentalist Christian, I think, and you're critiquing yourself from, yeah, what was the time difference there? Was it a, a year or two, something like probably, that? Yeah, probably about a year thereabouts. Um, yeah. So it's fascinating. You're watching this video of you giving your own testimony, pausing it and like critiquing yourself. And so that, I mean, that's just a wild ride to see that, especially only, you know, over a span of a year. But I mean, well, honestly, one of the first things I thought just hearing your story, actually, it was really hearing your story in the the testimony, uh, some of which you recapped. And it's like, man, you, you have been through the ringer. Like my, my heart just went out to you watching all that. And I mean, yeah, I mean, you've been through a lot and, um, I'm glad to see, you know, you're, you're in a better place now. And, um, I'm excited to, you know, later in the discussion here, future plans and stuff, but yeah, but that was my first thought was like, damn, this guy has been through a lot. Um, and then what a fascinating, um, story of like kind of going into fundamentalism basically then out into atheism. And then for people who don't know, there's this whole thing called street epistemology, which is usually skeptics who, do these interview sessions um, of like Socratic questioning to try to get to the root of um, beliefs. It's a little bit controversial, I would say. Um, I mean, the the basic idea is uncontroversial, I would say, you know, that it's uh, it's about, you know, getting to the core reasons behind anything. Um, maybe some of the tactics, sometimes it can feel a little one-sided maybe. But anyway, there's a pretty prominent one. Um, uh, Pine Creek is the name of the YouTube channel. He's an atheist. And um, so I first saw you, I think this would maybe was a, yeah, another meta show where you were like on SJ's channel, right. a reviewing, Christian, yeah, yeah. reviewing you on Pine Creek, the atheist. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so was it true that, uh, so you're talking about the emotional component, you know, giving the desires yeah. to get out of this cultish thing um, and uh, also, you know, the added manipulation and all that you were experiencing. But um, where did something like Pine Creek play into that, if at yeah. all? So I think I think this is round about two months or one to two months after that had happened. The the kind okay. of um, the me and my ex sort of splitting up and and me being really hurt by the whole thing and kind of resentful to what you know, feeling like oh, there's some manipulative stuff going on here. And but I'd still stayed into apologetics i'd still been going out doing evangelism on the weekends stuff like that and then um i had thought one other quick thing here is it almost sounds like you were like awoken to philosophy around this age like were you into i don't know did did this surprise you almost surprise your friends how much you got into this or was this something pretty much in your personality from a young age um yeah how, how did that happen I, th I think I've always been into the into um, trying to understand things more, perhaps more so than the average person. But um, but in terms of philosophy in and of itself, I didn't really understand that as a subject or any of you know like the yeah. the um, conceptual apparatus that's been laid out by philosophers in various domains. I didn't start looking into that until I became a Christian really, and was trying to, okay. and, and I think, I think as well, like, um, reading Augustine's confessions was a big, that, I mean, that was probably the first philosophical text I actually read, I think, because, um, and there's, there's actually a lot in that. I've been going back to it and reading some of the arguments and stuff he gives. It's, it's a really interesting book at multiple levels because it's it's an amazing. What well, it, firstly, it's all in prayer format. Secondly, it's an amazing autobiography. Wow. Thirdly, it's got like some really interesting Platonic arguments 
in, in mm-hmm. embedded inside the prose. Um, and people, I, I mean, even mod- a, a paper someone linked to me is like, um, Augustine talks about like time in one chapter and someone talking about, you know, like, is there something like the theory of relativity in there? And um, some of the wow. most recent philosophy of language by people like Wittgenstein is sort of commenting back to th- comments that Augustine's made. It's a, it's a really interesting text, but um, but yeah, I hadn't really thought th- that was what prompted me to want to do philosophy. I was thinking, well, it does seem like something yeah. uncorked a little bit where, you know, then you're deep into it. But I- anyway, continue, you know. Yeah, no, I was at. just thinking, I was just thinking like, yeah, I'll, um, I mean, un- uh, intellectually understanding what was going on or grappling that, that was a big part of what Christianity was for me. And I thought, well, um, I would love to do this as part of the continuing tradition of of Christianity to try and figure out what these, th- you know, like my I've come to this in a particular place in my life where I've got a different kind of conceptual language than maybe some of these historical people have had to pass up religious symbols, whatever they mean. Um, and I... I enjoy trying to do that and figure it out. And I want to be a part of that going forward. So um, I was like, well, maybe I'll try it in the UK in high school. We have like a level. So I was like, well, I'll cover the a level philosophy syllabus in my spare time. And then I moved on to some other texts and things after that. Um, and that, yeah, that was basically how I got into philosophy, I think. But yes. Yeah, so back to kind of like the Pine Creek thing, how did oh, that right, play yeah, yeah, into yeah. Sorry, yeah, I forgot that. that no, no problem. I, I interrupted you. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Pine, Pine Creek thing was because I was doing, I was, I'd started to make what I saw as apologetics videos online. Um, that meant that I guess I was getting different recommended videos and things. And I'd actually seen, I think that this is how it got into um, my algorithm was that I'd gone on a Trinity radio video a week oh, before okay. where he'd gone mm-hmm. seven types of atheists and he'd said the psychologizer and he'd put you know pine creek the psychologizer and uh, and um and then about a week later pine creek comes up as like live now so i kind of um started watching it and then i was arguing with everyone in the chat and then um towards the end he says you know well if anyone wants to join uh, there's the link or whatever and so I, jo- I joined and had a conversation with him and i guess um it was the first time that anyone sophisticated had pushed back against mm, my beliefs, mm-hmm. you know. Right. I think, I mean, in the evangelism I'd done, most people on the street just haven't kind of thought about these things. So right. it is you don't have to have much justification. You just have to have a cursory understanding to be able to sort of talk to the average person and if they have any pushback to win, which isn't is that even a good thing. But um yeah, so so his his objections were mainly to do with like um fundamentally my um my justification for why Christianity was to do was based on religious experience in Christianity. Mm-hmm. And um, so he basically drew out the sort of contradiction in certain beliefs that I had, which was that I, I thought I was justified on the basis of personal religious experience, whereas I would reject the personal experiences of Mormons, Hindus, Muslims, right. and so forth. If, if, if I were to come across them and talk to them and they said, well, I had this experience, so that's why I'm a Muslim or a Mormon, I would reject that. And I, I couldn't come up with good reasons as to why I'd accept that. And then there were there were all these other problems that came. I mean, off the back of that, I started watching a bunch of Pine Creek videos and uh, that undercut some of the justification that I thought there was for um, the resurrection. Um, the arguments that apologists tend to give are based around 
sort of saying that the evidence is so good that it compels one to believe in a miracle. And I don't think that that's right anymore. I'm actually, and there's, there's Christians who say this, like Ian Mills, who's a PhD in New Testament scholarship. He, mm-hmm. he says, you know, the, the, um, that kind of evidence isn't good enough to warrant belief in a miracle. Um, by itself it's so it, it's something else it's a different kind of justification and i, I do think yeah i would be I more right. i'd probably be more with ian on that too like i i don't like the sort of argument where you're compelled to believe this event from 2000 years ago happened um i and we might come to this a little later like i i went through my own kind of revolution in how i see my epistemology and what i think is a good argument um that has made me very suspicious of um, I hate to say, but like a lot of maybe the sure results of some technical philosophy, not that they think it's sure, but, um, it's made me favor simpler, more immediate, intuitive arguments rather than these grand 14 step deductions where it's like, well, if you don't disagree with any premise, you know, if every single premise is at 51%, then you must believe this thing happened 2000 years ago. It's just like, there's too many steps where I'm unsure I'm on board with it. Um, it just gets too murky too fast for me. So yeah, I mean, just like briefly with the the resurrection, I, for me, it's much more like if I zoom out after my own studies, to me, the way I would put it is it almost seemed like this thing happened. Now you can argue that it didn't. You can put together a really good naturalistic case, but like for me, it almost seemed like kind of, if I didn't know any better, it almost seemed like this thing happened. And then you put that in your pocket and look what else is going on in the world. And if that's the only thing you have, then you're probably not going to believe in Christianity. But to me, then you add that to other things. But that's a far cry than saying, wow, you look at this and without a doubt, you know, this thing happened 2000 years ago and we we can be totally sure of it. And you're irrational if you don't accept it. So I don't I personally don't go that route, at least. Hmm. Well, at the, at the time for me, this was at the sort of the meteoric rise of capturing Christianity was going on. I think capturing Christianity yes. was maybe about 10 or 20 K subs at the time. Um, and I, and I was really, I was a big fan of William Lane Craig. And so because of all this exposure to this really tribal kind of apologetics, that's like, um, well, the arguments are so good and never it admitting so aggressive yeah. and arrogant and, it drives me. I, I I tend to avoid using the word apologetics. It just it's right. dirty. It's a dirty word to a lot of people. It really you know it, it's off putting not just to skeptics. It's off putting to a lot of Christians because um, it both reminds people of. I think the number one word that probably comes for a lot of people is arrogance. Like it, it really tends to and this super engineering mindset and i say that as someone who's an engineer but like i've got it all figured out and this is the system and if you're not on board you're irrational you're or even worse you're immoral you're a sinner and you know you're just deceived by satan um and uh and then to your point of uh, which you know we might get to a little later about some of the recent stuff you've written um it starts to feel like is this even how you know the disciples and paul would have talked right. about christianity would they would be yeah. Um, you know, obsessing over the Kalam and not just obsessing over it, but just like the way they present it. A lot of modern weaponizing you know, it. Yes, yeah, and I will say there are there are great apologists who do it in a graceful way. It's not not everyone's like that, but there 
is a lot of that. So I, I feel you on there. So you, you know, you talked to Pine Creek and stuff, then how long, how many months after that start of the unraveling did it take before you're like, okay, I'm basically uh, out, out of this now. I'm either an agnostic or an atheist or something like that. I, I think pretty soon after I, um, like I realized that I didn't really have good reasons for believing it anymore. I mean, maybe, maybe a day or two. Um, and I felt like I, I was lying in bed for around about three days, like just listening to all the Pine Creek videos. I felt sick that like I'd, you know, that I, I felt so lied to and like I duped myself and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I think, um, like various other things happening in my life as time went on. So, um, for example, I decided that in order to get over the previous relationship, I'd go and have sex with people. And that was like, you know, at, at, at first I was kind of like, well, the world, you know, people are sinful and stuff. And then as I talked to people, I was like, no, um, the pe people who are in the out group, they're actually also humans. They're not no worse than me. That they have beliefs and desires, they hope for good things. That you know, and that that changed my perspective as well. It's like, well, that story that I was being told, that really stark right. in group out group thing, that just can't be right. Um, and yeah, so so over time, then, I, I, and I think then my resentment towards the apologetic stuff grew because I was reaching out to people saying, look guys, I'm really down to my faith. Can someone like talk to me and help me and stuff like that. And all I'd get back was like this marketing BS type, like um, what's so, you know, like, like this argument is so certain um, by all these like apologetics books, da, 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 like, and it, and it was all just flimsy and marketing. And I, I right. really, really disliked, uh, yeah, I just really dislike that because there wasn't any substance to it. Like, I'd be like, I, I want this to be true. I want this to help me. And then it didn't. It was all about just the the other person, like, being made famous or getting money or whatever through doing apologetics, not about actually wow. helping figure out what's true. Um, and so over time, I just, I, I guess, I, guess I, I kept reading philosophy. And as well, that raised more and more questions for a lot of the apologetics as it's kind of presented online, too. And maybe three months or so later i was i would say i was like identifying as definitely not a christian i mean i remember maybe what maybe one or two months later um not taking communion one time because i was like i just don't want to do this it doesn't feel right and then i was like oh, i'm just not going to go to church anymore i just want to get away from this um and yeah then and then yeah i i was still Think it, but I, I began to make videos opposing Christianity um, and opposing what apologists had to say. Right. And I think it was only maybe six months or so later that I was consider contemplating um, like atheism as a worldview. But I never really became an atheist because I always I didn't want to completely discount my religious experiences. I mean, I sort of couldn't mm -hmm. in a sense, and I always had did have background beliefs like well there might be a god or i can see how it could be plausible it's just this sort of gestalt shift on reality where you see it one right. way rather than the other way i i just didn't think there were good reasons for um trusting that other view anymore um but it didn't mean it was completely wrong it didn't drive me to a right. complete sort of naturalism i, um, I had a strong yeah. feeling of being duped as well coming from basically fundamentalism or just very conservative views and that took a long 
time to get over. It was funny because there was a period where I was a Christian, but I found myself um, when reading side by side, like a Christian author and an atheist author, I was actually doubting the Christian author more because I'd felt so betrayed by some of those apologists already. Uh, and so I had to reset a little bit. I was like, no, I gotta, you know, I can't, I gotta treat each author separately. I can't bring all my baggage of Ken Ham, young earth creationism, you know, and assume every, you know, assume N.T. Wright is like Ken Ham because he's not. Yeah. Uh, and so, but that, yeah, I felt very betrayed and duped and that, that was, yeah, that made me very angry and I had to do a, a bit of a reset. I didn't fully leave at all the way I think you did, but, um, for me it was, uh, yeah, intellectually really taking a step back kind of from that. Yeah. It, so, yeah, it, it's mm -hmm. really, it's a really weird thing to, and I think it's really quite, um, I, I can't imagine how it'd be for people who were really raised in it their whole life as well. That experience of that sort of sinking feeling of like, oh crap. Um, I felt like I was splitting yeah. it in half. I, I, like, yeah. I really think on my deathbed in my, let's say I'm in my eighties, if I make it that long, I, I would not be surprised if I said that period was the hardest in my life, right. regardless of what happened. Like I, because it was a true existential dread to a degree that, I didn't, I'm not sure I knew it was possible uh, because it felt like my entire reality was splitting in half. Yeah. Um, and on top of that, I was worried, uh, you know, that what worst case scenario is I like become an atheist, but then I die and find out I was wrong and now I'm going to burn in hell. And um, yeah. those aren't great mental spaces to be in. Let's just yeah. say that. So um, for you, yeah. So how, how many years ago was that when you got to that period? Like you're, you know, you're, you're basically outside of it. You, you haven't fully taken on atheism or anything, but you're, you know, at that point you're starting to make videos, you know, against apologetics, stuff like that. It's, a, it's about a year and a half ago now. Okay. Okay, cool. And so, I mean, this is the big thing here is like, th this is how I've known you basically in that state. You were, you know, that's basically where you were at. Um, and seeing, you know, your videos uh, responding to things like the, the Kalam cosmological argument, uh, plenty of other stuff. Um, what was a bit shocking to me uh, is when you then, for me, out of the blue, because I, I hadn't been keeping up uh, with your channel or anything, uh, but all of a sudden you make a post about tentatively calling yourself a Christian again. Uh, and I was like, oh, okay, well, didn't see that coming. Um, and so, yeah, can you fill in that little bit of time period? How did you come full circle to, not, well, full circle would be the wrong way to say it, but um, yeah, come to, to that standpoint. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I guess I don't know a lot, a lot of the stuff that happened could be pretty weird. I mean, my girlfriend, for example, is not, um, she doesn't oppose Christianity at all. She kind of finds it quite interesting and stuff. So I think, um, when I, when I have been becoming more tribal out of anger at apologists and stuff like that, she's actually, yeah been able to say i mean look at like i don't want to i don't want to name names but you know people who are toxic in atheist circles she's like you know like look at that you don't want to be like that do you um, right yeah and 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 it's sort of given me that check that maybe other people might not have had and so they've gone down that road so that's been that's been a thing that's always kept me from going way too much towards like the crazy side um 
I, and not not to say that that is the correct like the I think the apo- the apologetics like evangelical side is the crazy side as well. It's just like the same meta problem of like I'm certain that I'm right and you're wrong yeah. and you're evil if you disagree. And, um, and so I guess I stayed in the in the kind of agnostic space. I did I did actually sort of well well. There's a, f- a few things I suppose in, in in my thought. One of which was. Don Cupid, who is, was an Anglican priest, um, I don't know if he's still alive actually, um, because his health was pretty bad in like the past year. But he sort of he he's what's described as like a radical theologian. So when you hear people talking dirty words about uh, um, what the, the Jesus seminar. Like he's yes. one of those people yeah. that was like actually in the Jesus seminar, you know when, <laughs> right? Uh, and yeah. no, like no one, no one actually knows like what the Jesus seminar is. They just say, you know, the Jesus seminar is like a slur. Ooh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, right. And he he had, and, and this isn't really where I'm at, but he he has a really interesting book called The Sea of Faith, which was sort of him deconstructing his evangelical Christianity in the 70s or 80s and there's also an accompanying bbc tv series and it's really really good at sort of um narrating some of the main philosophical trains of thoughts in the modern period up till now and some of the main kind of where some of the main conflicts have been between religion and contemporary worldviews oh, cool. and, uh, uh, and sort of the where, where those tensions have kind of pushed out um traditional christianity or where christianity has changed in response to some of those things so like a mechanistic science or pluralism or um um, there's a there's a a really good section on like nietzsche and wittgenstein stuff like that and that really changed my perspective on some of these things because the non-realist christianity that he offers sort of informed by a lot of what these people have got to say i think is really quite plausible i mean it's he i suppose on a lot of he takes quite a Wittgensteinian point of view, which is this idea of that the meaning of of what words are is is basically how they're used as as tools, right. and so he sort of says, "What? Well, well, riffing on this on this concept, then it's sort of well, think about how people use God in everyday language. Think about how." Um, what, what are Christians doing when they engage in liturgy, when they do all that symbolism and stuff? It doesn't have to have this re- this kind of metaphysical referent. It, it, the metaphysics are, on its own is its own kind of private language game that philosophers are playing when they sort of mm-hmm. talk about these concepts and ideas and things. But when you look at what Christianity actually is, when you talk at, about, about what someone's saying when they say, you know, consciousness of sin in my life or having faith in God, it's very similar to... I mean, in a secular context, someone at someone's funeral saying, well, she had a real reverence for life. I mean, how are they using that word? Or when when right. um, something bad happens, people say, you know, my thoughts are with you. Now, it's not to say then that there's that they're actually trans- metaphysically transferring some thoughts or something like that. But there's this kind of use of theological language. And I guess Cupid's idea is that um, one one can be a Christian without having these metaphysical commitments and just sort of engaging okay. in the language games yeah. of religion, saying that this has a particular use for me trying to understand the way reality is. Um, now, that was something that was a perspective shift for me because I thought, well, I thought that's quite interesting in that c- I could engage with Christianity at that level because I still do find a lot about Christianity, its symbolism, its churches, its history, its philosophical thought really, really fascinating and rich. Um, And I guess there's always been something 
there's something to me at least about about Christianity, about the Gospels, about the growth of Christianity that's just really compelling. I mean, I, I really struggle to believe it's true in the way an evangelical believes it's true, you know, that there's this kind of one simple story of a group of evangelicals who went out in the early church and did it, and, you know, Jesus yeah. just rose from the dead. But um, I think it's way more complex than that. Um, which j just historically, there's so many competing groups and ideas and people trying to figure out what the heck went on. But I, I always find myself coming back to the story and finding it so compelling, the life of Jesus, what his ethical teachings are, and the way that that's revolutionized the world. So that's sort of a tether to Christianity. I also really enjoy church, having the, the special time set aside and stuff. So, so I guess I started going to church again. And um, I mean, that's probably had an influence on me. Two other... Um, trains of thought that really influenced me were sure. and were firstly albert schweitzer who was another a, a radical uh german theologian who's the guy i who's enjoyed this part of your your blog post uh yeah i i, I enjoyed this he, he's um the guy responsible for the quest of the historical jesus which again you'll hear apologists always talk about disparagingly you know they'll say the so-called quest of the historical jesus well we know who he is and so um anyway schweitzer in my mind is one of the most um morally exemplary modern christians but he had um certain issues with the history so for example he thought that a lot of the early church um a lot of the people in the in the early church really expected Jesus to be coming back soon. And he thought Jesus himself actually predicted that he'd be coming back, you know, really soon right. and then didn't when he died. So his um, his story of Christianity is a really tragic one of a of an apocalyptic prophet who dies on a cross. And it, it, and that but then Christianity is the result. And um, yeah, I think he has some quote. I know N.T. Wright. I mostly know Schweitzer through N.T. Wright talking about him. Uh, yeah, something about like Jesus, like throwing him, unable to like solve solve the the age. He threw himself on the wheel of time and let it crush himself. These like really poetic things of like, but it's sad because you know yeah. it like the Jesus's like final hopes were didn't come true of him coming back or whatever. But um, I don't, yeah, I mean, really fascinating guy and i mean everyone talks about him with just utmost reverence of one of honestly i've heard literally people say he's maybe one of the greatest people who've ever lived uh, morally just what he did uh founding the hospital and giving up you know his academic post to do all that um i i don't know all the details but people talk about him as as a saint basically right. Yeah. So, so yeah, he was, he was a theologian, had this faculty position and stuff. And I guess at the age of 28, I think, um, he decided that he wanted to do something. He, he decided that Christianity is more about this ethical teaching than, um, sort of philosophizing in ivory towers. So he decided to study for his medical degree on the side in the university he was teaching at and working at. And so he did that and he, he was actually staying up sort of till midnight with his feet in like cold, Bowls of water to study for his medicine exam and stuff like that. Um, got it, went, applied. And again, the, the Paris Missionary Society, who he applied for for funding, they didn't want to accept him because of his unorthodox views and some of his publishings and things. But he eventually did get it. I can't remember. There's some kind of fluke to that story. But he goes to French Equatorial Guinea, um, which is on, on the equator um, and in, in Africa. And he uh, establishes a hospital there and basically um, has this massive impact where he's helping people and people are coming from all around um, to, to receive his help there in that hospital. And 
as well as sort of all the help that he gave to people, I think the story of what he did also lit a bunch of people's um, Christian imaginations in Europe on fire to sort of, you know, do good things similar to that as well. Um, so a really kind of a really kind of powerful story all around of the kind of good good he achieved through doing that. But I guess through co- contemplating some of some of his words, some of um, because it was clearly Christianity, and again, this idea not of this not of certainty that Jesus is risen and it's all so simple mm-hmm. and I've got it figured out, but it was actually this this moral model of you know the tragic Jesus dying on the cross that motivated him to go and do that. And I guess I was just thinking about this as I kind of went to the shop, and usually, you know, like usually I'll just walk past like the homeless guy who sat outside. And I guess this, this one time I thought, well, why don't I just talk to him and kind of see what he wants? Um, and I did, and I got him some food and stuff and gave it to him. And I was just thinking afterwards, you know, that like the reason that I did that good thing is I, I can't discount that it's, it's because of the fact of the influence of the story of Jesus and me contemplating it. And, um, right. and me thinking about uh, and me sort of systematizing whatever Christianity is, this weird uncertain thing that I'm grappling with it's that story that motivates me to act that way and that's the kind of person that I want to be, so I guess I've got these multiple strands, primarily primarily the ethical that's compelling me to want to identify as a Christian um, What, um, yes. have you had much um, uh, uh, it, what's the word I'm looking for, influence from or uh, exposure to Tom Holland and Dominion, like that book keeps getting mentioned so many times. I haven't actually read it, but uh, I mean, he, you know, he's like an agnostic Christian basically uh, and some similarities, you know, but he strongly believes uh, and some would debate him on this, uh, I'm sure, but strongly believes that so much of those values of Western culture, whatever come from Christianity and that, you know, love thy neighbor, self-sacrificial love and stuff like that. Do you, find any of that uh does that resonate with you or have you been exposed to that at all yeah i've i've enjoyed listening to a lot of tom holland stuff um but i don't know if i'm on the same page as him i i guess personally i find there's something kind of suspicious about him like i Mm -hmm. i I do i i sort of wonder I, i have this this idea that i can't get out of my mind that maybe he's sort of exploiting the gullibility of evangelicals to tell them what they want to hear in order to get book sales and stuff like that. I can't, I can't kind of get that out mm. of my mind. Um, but it might not, it might not be true, but that's like, I've just got this prejudice against him where I don't I enjoy under, it. Yeah. yeah. I, I can understand that. I mean, it is almost like from a Christian standpoint, too good to be true about him writing these sort of things. Um, I mean, it does seem like, this is not an area I've done deep research, but it does seem like um, there's a lot of truth in some of the fundamental points there. It seems yeah. like, especially when you add in people like Jordan Peterson, who I think has the similar ideas. And I've heard other people say too, there's even, um, I think Tim O'Neill is another prominent atheist that um, pushed back, pushes back against atheists who are always attacking Christianity historically, uh, especially uh, stuff like the Galileo situation. Um, and a Tim would probably have some similar things to say. Uh, but yeah, I, I hear you. I mean, Tom seems so far just, you know, gushing, you know, what's well, just, I think, um, he, 
Well, I agree. There's pro there's a there's a lot there to it, and I don't know enough about history to have a sophisticated point to put back. But I just don't. I don't know that the story is as simple as he's putting forward, because yeah. the strands of and, and I'm sure if I talk to him, he you know he'd probably concede all of this. But um, so maybe maybe I need to just read more of his stuff and read more history in general. But um, whenever the of the history that i have looked into it just it, it just always seems more complicated it isn't this one-sided thing and um right. you know and, and a lot of the good things in christianity are actually because of these sort of um insertions or or, or these engagements with pagan philosophy as well oftentimes mm -hmm. the good the good things are as a result of that rather than exclusively christianity and so if you if you sort of tell that part of the story then for a lot of evangelicals, that's going to be repulsive as well, because what what inspiration means to them, you can't talk right. about, you know, like Plato being inspired and the positive influence that he's had, even if it's through someone fakely pretending to be Dionysi Dionysius from Acts 17, uh, 400 years later, um, who's a Neoplatonist, who's, who's writing these letters that then a bunch of Christian philosophers take to be actually written by Dionysius and then come up with all this moral oh, wow. philosophy that's based on Neoplatonism. You know, if you, if you talk about that, that's like, no, that, look, we're not pagans. We're not, um, that's pagan right, philosophy. Right. Whereas a, a more liberal perspective is kind of, well, well I guess, I guess I'd, I'd consider myself to be a sort of perennialist, which would be that if there's, if there's any truth to any of this, it sort of stands equally behind you know, honest, honest seekers of truth in, in all traditions with various different concepts and so forth. And, um, I mean, right. Christianity is the set of concepts that appeals most to me. Um, and certainly I find something particularly compelling about Jesus's life over other, um, figures in other religions. But for me, I mean, I'd, I'd be as happy to say that like Aristotle or Harry Potter or Star Wars are inspired as I sort of am the Bible, even though the Bible's like, got a special place for me because of its historical um effects and stuff like that and i, I guess the the point being against what tom, what tom holland has to say though is just that there's there is this complicated mess of sort of um you know there are there are stories which seem which seem really really good um that are non-christian and also could you know can influence cultures in a, in a positive way it's not and it seems that a lot of the ways that christianity has influenced things in a positive way are contingent as well so you know it could have been mm -hmm. maybe christianity didn't win out but then maybe something you know you can't say that some other philosophy from ancient greece then you know like maybe maybe the the platonist schools would have grown and grown throughout europe and we would have had an even better moral philosophy i can't say that that wouldn't have happened because i just don't actually know like how do you even calculate something like that um yeah and, and there's going to be yeah. that subjective evaluation of the morals in the sense that uh, for me, I guess one way I would say it is the putting at the center of the universe, the idea of self-sacrificial love and especially, um, you know, a creator God uh, coming down and experiencing that and giving that self-sacrificial love and that being at the core of the universe if it's you know if christianity is true like for me that resonates in a way that um uh, you know I, i'll hear it give me another philosophy I, i'm not saying nothing else yeah. could could beat that but it's very compelling to me and it has captured people um in a way that few other philosophies have uh and it's you know you can find uh plenty of parts of that 
elsewhere. You know, you, it's not like self-sacrifice didn't exist before Jesus or something, but um, it being right at the center of it. And yeah. especially, I think the power inversion is really huge to me too. The idea of the, uh, yeah, that inverted upside down world of the, the, you know, uh, the strong serving the weak and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, once again, it's not that you can't find any of that anywhere, anywhere else. And that there hasn't been, uh, that, you know, of course, a lot of it came from like ancient Judaism too. It's not like uh, Judaism was this, uh, awful religion and then Jesus solved it or anything like that. But, you know, for 2000 years, that one story, uh, and once again, there's going to be that subjective component, but it does, uh, pierce my heart more than other stories have. And uh, once again, I'm not trying to make too much of that, you know, that for, for yeah. me, that's another thing I put in my pocket of like, okay, that's a big deal. And it does seem to inspire people like Schweitzer and stuff. And when I hear, you know, uh, a more Eastern philosophy of like letting, trying to get rid of all, you know, like, uh, emptying yourself and, uh, and trying to get away from the the physical in a way, I, I think that's interesting, but it doesn't grab me the same way. Maybe that's my Western programming, you know, whatever. But um, yeah, so I, I, I hear you about, especially with Tom Holland, like anytime you try to simplify history to like one narrative, you're you're a goner, you know, uh, and I haven't read him though, so I can't, you know, fully judge. Yeah. Uh, but my question for you is like, okay, you've spent a lot of time with these arguments, you know, uh, some pretty dense arguments, the Kalam and uh, you know, plenty of others. Um, and so where do those stand for you now? Like, do you still care about them? Do you think there's any progress to be made? Do they influence how you view reality at all? Or have they become more intellectual language games in your mind? Yeah. I mean, by, by and large, I think intellectual language games, like, I, I, I mean, I think, I think there's progress in philosophy, but, um, I'm skeptical of the progress in philosophy of religion in particular. I mean, it seems like it, it seems like the most modern concepts from analytic philosophy, philosophy of mind, probability theory, whatever, are just being brought in to rehash the same exact stuff that's always been hashed out in philosophy of religion. And I, I and I, I guess I don't see much progress. Like people who are who are pro um, the conclusions find the arguments um, good, and people who are con the conclusions right. like don't find them good and find reasons to deny it and it, we just seem to be like I, I don't think anyone's really getting convinced by them unless maybe uh, maybe the exception is someone who's just completely ignorant of philosophy and then they come across you know someone who's really insistent with the kalam or something um so mostly that though i do think i don't think they're valueless because i think for someone who is a christian um or not a you know someone who's an atheist that doing philosophy can help them better articulate what the position is that they already believe in but i right. think in some sense it's it's already sort of believed a, a not a, a different in a, a different mental place like in some unarticulated sense and then we almost just justify our conclusions backwards from there i don't think i think we very rarely look for reasons that we're committed to and then derive deductions from there i think yes. we, yeah i think i think we have the we have the derivation and then we reverse engineer well, well, that's, I mean, that literally just is how logic works, right? It's how it, it's um, true deductive logic being truth preserving. You literally mm -hmm. just um, figure out what premises does the conclusion entail. And then you write right. the premises before the conclusion as if that is the way it worked when that isn't really what happened, I don't think. 
Right, which is why I have spent many, many years as I first deconstructed my own beliefs of trying to solve that uh, conundrum and realizing that, yeah, it isn't 18 steps towards a precise Kalam argument that make me believe in God. But I will say, and maybe I need to study this argument more, but I will say that um, from what I've read so far about um, uh, philosophical issues with like uh, an infinite past. Um, so there's that argument, you know, the William Lane Craig thing. Um, I, so far, I, it still feels intuitive that um, it's harder to, to see how an infinite past could exist. Like it, it warps your brain a bit philosophically because of like a, infinite math and the the paradoxes you get. Um, and uh, it to me, it is striking that, you know, before Hubble, the Big Bang was a, a big surprise. And um, people who are not religious were, uh, from, my, from what I understand, they were more bothered by the Big Bang than the religious people, because all of a sudden, it looked like there is this beginning, you know. Um, and I know we're still learning the physics and all that stuff. And this is why this is not some big long step deductive argument but um just with what we have right now it almost seems like there was sort of this beginning and um and it is hard to even um philosophically present an infinite past too and so does that mean there's a god no but it's like hmm it, it almost seems like there's this something that kicked everything off you know and maybe that's just us being um, ignorant of future knowledge, though you have to be careful with that because that becomes an argument from ignorance very quickly. You know, like we have to use the data we currently have. So, um, so I actually, I would say, I, I really don't think I'm just saying this. I think that sort of argument in a very simplified intuitive way um, is part of the reason I, I believe. Um, but it's just one, one piece of like, okay, the universe, from what I know of that sort of stuff, the universe uh, putting on the lens of there being a creator God makes a little more sense there. And then for me, putting on the lens of a creator God and Christianity being true with the story of Jesus and what we just talked about makes sense. And um, so for me, all my arguments tend to be as like meager as possible and as robust as possible, which is like for people who have listen to any of my stuff. It's like the black swan epistemology is like you try to make a, a me more meager argument, but one that's much more robust. Um, and all those added together with absolutely the, the immediate experiences as well. Um, and I would go into like miracles and stuff like that too. Um, I do think those ultimately are the reasons I believe in God. Um, so, but I have to, I have to shrink those arguments down. It's not the highly technical, the, the three page length arguments, because those are way too abstract. And each step is way too unsure for me that I'm not going to get the, at the end of that argument. I don't think anyone should get at the end of that argument and think, oh, there's a God or, oh, there's no God. Um, I just really, I don't think you're going to get that from that sort of argument. So what do you think of uh, that? Yeah, I, I do think, I do think there's value in doing philosophy um, from within like Christianity, like I was sort of saying before, I guess, but for like, for me, for me now, I find it really interesting um, learning 
how other people have thought, how that relates to my own thinking, trying to work out what it is I actually believe, but having the tools of philosophy to kind of shape my thinking as I do that. Um, and I, th I think that that is really valuable. But yeah, I, I think we're both in the same position where we don't we don't like it being it's it being weaponized. I guess that I, I'm at least really against. Um, I mean, with I, I do have definite objections to the Kalam in particular, but for for me personally, some of the arguments are stronger than others. Um, but again, it, it seems quite subjective, really. Um, what someone finds a strong argument and what someone else doesn't. I mean, like I I'm right. As far as the arguments go, I think maybe the contingency argument and the ontological argument are the strongest in my mind. And I actually don't even think any of the others work, except maybe some sort of weird um, final causation argument for, like, goodness or something. But, um, but yeah, in, in my mind, I don't, I don't think any of the other arguments work. And even those arguments themselves just get you to, like, some vague notion of necessary being and nothing like mm -hmm. um christianity and that and the reasoning that people like craig will do to go from there um to christianity is just so um it's so risky in my mind like the the inferences are big 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 leaps and i but i think i mean i th in terms of god being the necessary the ground of being which not much can actually be said about i think is is actually in line with some of the earliest christian thinkers uh like uh pseudo dionysius uh the Areopagite, like um the the idea of um apophatic theology of what what cannot be said about god and stuff like that is i i think um at least for me really compelling and, and my what i find what I like about Christianity is the the mystical side of trying to have um, a relationship with this this being as well. And then and then I think that that emphasis when when coming to an understanding and appreciation of apophatic theology then makes the incarnation even more um, special as a part of theology than uh, less special to, to, right. to me i'm yeah. not i'm not saying that is this anyway. like a further gap to be crossed or something perhaps i don't know if that's what you're saying but yeah it's it's because then because then the the incarnation is the one place where something can be said about god but again it's really mysterious because it's like right. you know how, how do we get through the historical method to the historical jesus but maybe you get glimpses of that through what the authors have to say about the various authors have to say about jesus in the gospels and the epistles and so forth but um but um i might be yes. having some video issues just fyi oh you froze I, um, for a second yeah yeah um unfortunately we'll see if it gets uh better but um i my internet recently went down and so i'm having to use a hotspot. and um hopefully i have enough juice to uh we, we might need to wrap it up soon if it doesn't get okay. better unfortunately but um <laughs> okay um yeah is my video frozen still no you're good now i can see you now but well okay. actually a little frozen yeah all right, we'll we'll continue for a minute more because uh, I'm I'm enjoying this, but uh, we can start to wrap up too. Okay. Um, I guess just like my my kind of final question for you is like, where do you go from here? You know, like um, do you where do you see yourself? Like, do you want to get a philosophy degree? Do you want to keep you know peeking back the curtain of like is Christianity more actual, actually, really true? 
uh, or are you still interested in that question? Like, you know, how ontologically real it is? Um, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'd say I'm definitely interested in the question, but I'm not. I'm not concerned whether or not I ever figure out an answer. Um, you know, like I, I'm not concerned that I ever like get back where I was because I think I think whatever I have now is much healthier um, than than what I had before, and I think much more in accordance with what a good God would actually want. Um, I guess I, I'm definitely interested in in the questions, and I would love to have um, some time to pursue further academic study and, um, you know, le learn more about these things and synthesize, synthesize some of my thinking into something, um, more coherent and rigorous, but, um, whether or not I'll actually have that time in my life, I suppose is, uh, is another thing, but I'd, I definitely would like to, I think, I think next year I'll probably be doing a master's in something, but I'm, not I, I mean at the minute it looks like it'll be computational neuroscience as opposed to anything else but i think i think i would like to do academic philosophy if i if i can figure out an opportunity to do that um over and above and then yeah but, in terms of my sorry um do you want to come back on that uh no i was going to say that that's that's awesome i i've always said that if i ever got a master's degree it would be in philosophy i don't know if i'll ever Pull the trigger on that but uh i have a bachelor's in computer science so you know we have that similarity there with uh, uh being software engineers and um yeah well i hope you you do get the opportunity to do that because that, you clearly have a love for it and and going deep on it too awesome yeah i i, I would really like to and, and i don't know i mean I've, when i've occasionally sort of flirted with the idea i've thought about exactly you know what would i want to do a thesis on like how would i synthesize it because i mean i mean it'd be a bit vague to just say sort of like um you know do, does god exist finally like solving the question or something or um maybe i'd be interested in how how people um come to hold these beliefs uh, what it is that changes people's minds something like that um or how how it is that competing ways of looking at the world sort of systematically can can be believed by epistemic peers like rationally and and is there actually any way of of deciding between them so, so something like that i guess would be the along the lines of, i'm not so much interested in um you know fleshing out another argument for why you can or can't have an infinite series of temporal events or something but <laughs> yeah well it brings you full circle a little bit to street epistemology and that sort of thing which is in a lot of ways my core interest um and things like uh, have you um <laughs> i think i've heard that you're i think you mentioned you're not a big fan of john loftus the way he at least comes across but have you uh read any of his outsider tests of faith or anything like that i mean i'm aware of it but i haven't really read it to be honest and yeah not a big fan of how he comes across yeah uh, I, I can relate to that feeling um what i do like about him is he is also desperately um trying to get at let's stop pretending we believe because of a single presentation of the Kalam um, and that it's this perfect proof or or stop pretending we disbelieve because of this one thing. Like, like what, seriously, why, why do you believe or why do you, why do you not believe or, or whatever? And I, yeah, that's, I really care about that. Um, like 
I want to stop the bullshit, you know, basically and try really like really interesting. I've tried very hard and I'm, I'm sure I'm still missing things within myself, but I've tried very hard to look introspectively and like, really why, okay, I'm sitting here in my living room. Why do I believe Christianity is true? You know, and I've tried to break that down and it's probabilistic. It's not some surefire thing. And it's definitely not from single one single argument or, and definitely not thinking one argument is surefire in any way. Um, and I realized, and this is why I got so into epistemology. I realized that this is how we do all of life. Like what, what is that one thing that proved that you should marry your wife or whatever, you know? And it's like, there isn't some 14 point deductive argument that got you there. Um, and even though it's a similar risky proposition and it actually is a knowledge claim, it, you might not think that, uh, someone, well, so if, if I may interrupt, I, th I think it's really, really similar. I think it's really, really similar in that the question of, um, at what point do you leave a religious belief that you're not convinced of? And at what point do I divorce someone I'm not in love with? I think they're very, yes. very similar questions. Oh, I agree. I agree. Um, it can, yeah, I can feel the same with, you know, family fallout and stuff too, even. Um, so yeah, I, 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 that is probably my core interest because, because it affects the rest of your life too, because the way I decide, so many things and decide what I think about so many things, politics, it all comes down. Like I'm probably not going to, you know, believe in uh, gun control or not gun control based on a 12 step single <laughs> argument either. It's going to, it's um, this is why um, I've spent so many episodes on this sort of practical epistemology. Um, it, I think a much more healthy epistemology is you do, you get into the weeds when you can, where you can, but you try to go broad as well. And then ultimately you got to zoom out and say what fits best. And I just, so I've tried to consolidate how I do things and find the best way across, if I believe in Christianity, across politics, about myself, what, what I know about myself, what I, um, am I facing, you know, the negative parts of myself, uh, or using some argument, you know, to avoid it. Um, yeah. So I, I, that's, I don't know. Oh, you dropped out. I am now here live on my own, running the show. Um, <laughs> hopefully he'll be back in a bit and I'm not just going to be, oh, there we go. <laughs> yeah, you're back. All right. Well, uh, thanks for hosting for a second there, Nathan. Yes. Um, <laughs> um, all right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to probably leave it there since I'm obviously having issues, but uh, man, Nathan, I've enjoyed this uh, so much. I can't wait to see where you're you're going with all this. Um, I can tell, you know, you're still you still have a thirst for knowledge, and you know, I think you're far ahead of me on a lot of these uh, going deeper on some of these arguments and and stuff. And not that you know, I know you don't want to spend the rest of your life on the Kalam either. But um, <laughs> I'm excited to see where you where you take it from here. And if you ever want to talk to someone who is less dogmatic about it all, but does believe it i'm around because i think that uh that describes me um and I, I wanted to ask one thing gosh ryan price man you you <laughs> you've lost so many comments i love it i was going to try to ask one. you did ask one question and i'm terrible about asking audience questions so um he asked uh what you think of the problem so ryan says how do you feel let me see if i oh i can show this yeah there we go 
Question for Nathan, how do you feel about the problem of evil given that science doesn't support the existence of free will? I think that second part of the sentence is a bit controversial personally, but I'll let uh, uh, Nathan answer that. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree that the, I mean, if we're, if we're saying given that um, science doesn't support the existence of free will, I don't know that I'd be committed to that either. I mean, firstly, I, I mean, I'm not an incompatibilist. So I think that um, plausibly, at least, um, free could mean just to act in accordance with my desires, right? So as long as I'm acting in accordance with my desires, um, I'm I'm free, and I seem to be able to do that on a causally deterministic, reductive, naturalist account of things. Um, but secondly, I, I, I'm supposing that by the science here, what's being meant is the Libet um, experiments, which I don't think actually do show. I mean, so so what the Libet experiments show, uh, basically people were wagging their fingers and then they would measure the spike in the brain at the point when they measured their fingers, I think by EEG. Right. Um, and then they would ask the person to report when they became consciously aware of that and it turns out there's a 300 millisecond difference or something like that between the when they report the conscious difference and when they would wag the finger and it's it's not really it's, it's not really clear to me or all philosophers in general what they show i mean and even um chris frith who is a reductive naturalist um neuroscientist he's got a book called making up the mind where he talks about this experiment and goes into why why the conclusions of it um don't actually show that you're free i mean that there's so there's so many um different ways of interpreting those results that it it just isn't clear to me that it it means that i, I mean you could still for mm -hmm. example you could be a dualist and even if those results if you interpret them in a really plain way right and you take away the fact that the person's constrained by being in um, experimental settings and all that, you could still have a dualist account that works with it. I mean, you could say that the reason that 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 um, brain spike fired was because of an activity from the soul or something right. interacting with the brain, and then they just became aware of it later. Like, there's not really a problem with that. It it could still be agent causation um, fundamentally because the awareness of doing the action is a different thing from the actual volition of it, which could still be the agent doing it themselves. Um, so that there's a ton of issues for that. So, but then how do I feel about the problem of evil? Um, given that, well, I don't, I don't reject that, but supposing that that's true, how would I feel about the problem of, of evil? Um, I mean, I think it's, I think it's a difficult one for Christianity. I don't, I don't like the attempts to, um, I, di I dislike the attempts to sort of simplistically paint it away and kind of mm -hmm. save save a particular theistic account. I mean, personally, I think Calvinism is completely evil, especially the hyper-Calvinists, um, sort of a Hobbesian type thing or whatever, you know, where people are going to go. That's what well, I, yeah, I grew up and, and fully reject at this point. <laughs> Yeah, like the the idea that okay, yeah, there's there's evil stuff happening, but it just glorifies God most. He's just causally determining right. it all because it glorifies him most. I think that that's evil and wrong. Um, I probably, I, I mean, even if even if I had good epistemic reasons to believe that God existed, I think I'd have good moral reasons to reject that God um, anyway. Um, Agreed. But I think, I mean, I think there are ways of thinking about it that are different. But I don't think there's just this one piece solution. I mean. I, I am a bit of a fan of the Augustinian account of evil being a privation of good, of evil being a privation of being. So one place that Augustine talks about this, but you've you've got to realize that that actually being itself um, and goodness are the same thing on this account. And so uh, Augustine talks about 
um like a like a disease like sores for example and um it, it's the absence of the proper function of of the tissues and stuff being there that is the the evil in and of itself now i i'm kind of um again skeptical of of these attempts to completely resolve everything but i think that that can go some of the way towards painting a theistic story that can account for these things but i think as well accepting an eternal conscious torment um version of hell it really may exacerbate the problem of evil i think if if one adopts some kind of universalist point of view which is what i happen to be right. inclined towards where okay evil evil is really really bad um and and i guess as people i i don't find open theism as compelling but some people go with open theism and say literally you know god can't prevent evil but um I guess I'm not as convinced of that point of view, but I think it's more sort of like a what I'd call what I'd call the porch view, which is that all the evils that happen in this life are actually part of part of this this broken and sinful world, but it's all part of this process of God reconciling the entire cosmos to himself. Now I don't have very good epistemic reasons to accept this, so I don't say, oh, I'm so committed to that point of view. I'm just saying that that's the theological story that appeals to me. When I look at the evil in the world and the way things are, I say, well, um, if, if there's a good God, then the story that makes sense to me is that God's reconciling the cosmos to himself. So even though I can't understand these things, it will ultimately be set right. Now you can you can Freudian psychoanalyze me and say that's just wish fulfillment or whatever, but I think it it, it makes more sense as a theological narrative than any of the other alternative stories that are available. Well, uh, you sound like a proper philosophical Christian uh, saying all that. Have to say, um, and I, I do um, favor. I, I obviously cut out again a little bit, but um, favor the sort of disease model of sin, um, which I think you were saying was kind of Augustinian, um, and also very much am against the eternal conscious torment thing and agree that if that, if we had very strong reasons in believing in that, then that would call into question God, uh, God's morality and existence ultimately. But um, yeah, no, that was, that was very well said. Um, I wish we could, uh, you know, talk for another hour, but um, Spectrum won't let me, my internet provider, <laughs> Um, yeah, so I actually, our internet went out like a week ago and I started to try to get it fixed. A technician would have to come out and I was like, screw it. I'm going to switch to Verizon Fios, which is, uh, rated way better and cheaper. Um, so I'm surviving on a hot spot until then. So, uh, apologies for that. Uh, thanks for hanging in there. Um, Nathan, this is super yeah. fun. I hope we get to be on mic again and continue these sort of discussions. I would love to go into some specific arguments and just pick your brain a little bit more on that and, and figure out where we agree or disagree. But uh, yeah, this is great. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you put out next. And um, yeah, why don't you give a shout out to anything you want to plug? Yeah, well, my uh, channel is Digital Gnosis, and I'm just going over there to see what actually the next things that I've got coming up are. Um, oh, yeah, I'm interviewing Duncan Pritchard. Uh, Duncan, yeah, Duncan, I know I said Pritchard. Duncan Pritchard on skepticism. Uh, is that tomorrow? Yeah, tomorrow, actually. Um, is that the, the author you mentioned from before? Uh, did I mention him? I can't remember. Oh, oh, never mind. I, I think of someone else. Maybe I might have. Um he is i'm not i'm not sure if he's a christian or not but he's actually done a lot of writing on religious epistemology so he is um and he's just dropped out he'll be back again he's committed to a view called um 
a, a, he's committed to a Wittgensteinian view he's developed from Wittgenstein's later writings called Uncertainty, um, where he says that we have like a set of hinge commitments and so a complete um, rational evaluation of kind of all our beliefs isn't isn't really possible. It's kind of similar. He's he's written and contrasted it against um, Plantingan sort of moderate foundationalism. It's kind of an alternate view. And he, he's got some interesting views about religious beliefs and how they can be justified as well. But we're going to be talking about skepticism. Then we're doing an open hangout um, group reading of Wittgenstein's Philosophical Investigations the day after. That's Thursday. Oh, that's um, amazing. That's next on my list because I read the track Tractatus last year, and I really want to read Philosophical Investigations. Well, if you're free, come and uh, come and stop by because that's an open hangout one. Awesome, um, I might do that. And then I'm talking to an Orthodox guy who's doing his PhD on um, Christian attitudes towards homosexuality, where he he is taking the he he's actually gay himself, and he's taking the position that there really isn't the kind of conflict. The kind of conflicts a throwaway of the modern. Um, uh, of basically modern prejudices designed and legalized throughout time. Like a, a lot of the supporting passages, for example, um, against homosexuality are to do with, uh, are also equally condemning of people who are greedy, for example. And yet people, oh, wow. aren't, people don't like legislate, want, want to legislate against being greedy. It, it tends right. to, if you, when you do a historical analysis of these things, you tend to find out that there's actually, um, it, it's actually generally a kind of out, outcropping of people's prejudices in reading the text and i think i think there's one place where um if you if you look um at, in the original context and languages where being gay is actually or, or gay interactions are actually condemned and that's in leviticus and then it's like well how do christians deal with leviticus in general and all that sort of stuff um then right. i'm talking to alec ryrie who's a history lecturer about uh, similar tom, to tom holland um how protestants made the modern world and then I'm uh, a couple of weeks after that, I'm going to be talking to Dale Allison, who's just written a book. No about... way. Wow. Yeah. For people who don't know, he is in top three authors on the resurrection of, you know, the past hundred years, probably in a lot of people's minds. So that, that is a huge get that congrats on that. Cause he doesn't do many podcasts either. I know. So that that's amazing. Nathan. And he, and uh, we're talking about, he's just written his book um, about the uh, historical anal analysis of apologetics and polemics around the resurrection. So we're going to be uh, reviewing that book. Amazing. Awesome. Well, guys, go check out uh, Nathan's stuff. Um, Nathan, been really great. Thanks for joining me for, for this time. And um, I will uh, see you on the interwebs later. Yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right. See you guys.